Morning, church. If you'll stay awake, you can nap all afternoon. I promise rain all afternoon. How would that be? We've, uh, we've needed some rain, so it's always interesting in my discussions with my mother, if I say, we got rain, she gets real jealous. Well, we didn't get any. Well, Mom, I don't have any control over that. So uh, we are getting some rain, supposed to get rain all day long, and uh, it's a nice, peaceful day. So glad you're here. Got a good crowd today, a lot of visitors. If you're looking for a church home, we'd like for you to say it's us. It's a great church. We'd like for you to give us an opportunity to get to know you, and you can get to know us. So I'd like for you to stay around for classes today. Maybe you heard about the guy who ran into a friend who was getting into his car in the parking lot, and the guy noticed on the front of the car there was some blood everywhere, and he said, Hey, uh, what's up with the blood on the front of your car? He said, oh, it's nothing. I had a friend who owed me some money, so I ran over him. He said, well, okay, what about the leaves and the grass and everything on the front? And he said, well, I had to chase him through the park. Some of y'all are napping already, so um, I just want to tell you that is not proper recourse when someone does you wrong. That is not legal recourse. That's something you see in the movies. The question is... What do you do when someone does you wrong? What recourse do you have when someone doesn't honor their word? What protection do you have when you're in an agreement with somebody and they don't honor that agreement? Think about it. You co-sign a note and the person who co-signs with you doesn't honor their side of the deal. What recourse do you have? You're in a business arrangement with somebody and they don't honor their word, their end of the deal. What protection do you have? You enter a marriage relationship and one side doesn't honor their word. What recourse do you have? You sell someone something and they don't pay. What protection do you have when someone doesn't honor their word? Well, we have all kinds of uh, things you can do in our society today. There's contracts that you can make. If somebody steals something from you, you can call the police. If somebody owes you something, you can get an attorney. If somebody, if you need to collect something from somebody, maybe you can take them to court. We live in a culture today, we live in a society that has things in place to protect you when someone doesn't honor their word, when they don't honor their agreement, when they don't honor their covenant. We also have things in place so that When you don't honor your word, and to encourage you to honor your word, we have things in place, whether it's a business contract, or a marriage contract, or a vehicle contract. There are all kinds of things in in our system today for our protection, and there are all kinds of things in our system today to encourage you to honor your word. And there's all kinds of things in our system today designed to punish you when you don't honor your word. For example, you go out and you purchase something and you use a credit card and you made an agreement with the credit card company that you would pay for that when the bill came in. You might not read your credit card statement that way. So when the credit card statement comes in and you don't honor your word and you don't pay that bill, they punish you and they charge you interest. And that might affect your credit rating, and that punishes you. And that might affect your credit score, and that might affect your next purchase because you didn't honor your word. We know what to do when someone doesn't honor 
a deal. We know where to go. We know what happens when we don't honor a deal. So what do you do when you enter into an agreement with God? What do you do when you enter into a covenant with God? What recourse do you have? What protection do you have? What guarantee do you have that God is going to honor the deal? We're in a series called Nothing But the Blood. Specifically, we're talking about the blood of one person, the blood of Jesus. When you see blood, it should get your attention. When your child walks in from outside, bloody nose, bloody clothes, that should get your attention. If you're walking through the mall and you notice some blood on the floor, that kind of gets your attention. And the blood of Jesus should get our attention as well. We looked at a scripture last week, Hebrews 9.22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And we talked about that. God requires blood. If you want to be right with God, you need to have blood. If you want to have your sins washed away, there's got to be blood. God requires blood. So today I want to talk about entering an agreement with God, entering a covenant with God. So we're going to turn to the first book of the Bible. We're going to turn to Genesis and we're going to look at a blood covenant. Now, thousands of years ago, before there were governments, before there were police, before there were courts, before there were attorneys, what did you do, what could you do to make sure someone honored their word? If I was going to sell you a camel or some land or a tent, there were no contracts, if you will, so what could we do, what kind of arrangement, what, what kind of process could we enter into to make sure that both parties would honor their word? How could you have certainty... How could you have guarantee when you entered into a deal with somebody? Well, that's called a blood covenant. Covenant simply means to cut a deal. So maybe you've used that terminology before. Hey, you want to cut a deal? That's where covenant comes from. That's where we get that terminology. So here's what you would do in the Old Testament. You would enter into a blood covenant. And you would get some animals. We talked about this not long ago, a little bit. You would get some animals, maybe goats or maybe cows or maybe doves, and you would cut those animals in half and you would lay them out creating an aisle. And then both parties who were entering into the agreement, whether they're buying or selling or whatever, both parties would walk through that aisle of blood with those halves on either side as if to say, may this happen to me if I don't honor my word. May what we just did with these animals happen to me if I don't honor my word. Now, that probably seems a little primitive, a little barbaric, a little bloody. Can you imagine going to buy a vehicle these days and they say, hey, we're going to have to step out back. Got a couple of animals we need to walk through. Can you imagine going to buy a house and you go to the bank to sign your loan and they say, hey, you need to step out back? Can you imagine getting married and your father-in-law says, hey, we're going to have to step out back. We need to shed a little blood. We need to have a blood covenant. That's what they did back then. It was a powerful binding contract. It was a powerful binding covenant. 
Now think about it. If I'm entering into an agreement with you and you take one of your prized possessions, you take one of your animals and I see you cut that animal in half and the blood is shed and I see you give up something that has value to you, I've got a pretty good idea that you're going to honor your word. So when I walk that aisle with you, when we begin that journey, when we begin our covenant and agreement, I've got a pretty good idea, based on the investment you just made, that you're going to honor your word. Now think about it. A couple years ago, we had Steve Diggs come and do a no-debt, no-sweat seminar, and there were workbooks. And the church was thinking about buying workbooks for everybody who showed up, and Steve Diggs said, no, 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 no. You charge people for the workbook." even a minimal fee. Because he said, when people have an investment, they're more likely to listen to instructions. There are counseling services today that you may not have to pay a full fee, but they want you to pay some fee. Because when there's an investment, you're more likely to listen to the instructions. When there's an investment, you're less likely to walk away from the deal. Now, just like the blood covenant, If I saw you gut an animal that you valued, I would know you're less likely to walk away from the deal. So that brings us to Genesis 15. It's a story about Abraham. Maybe you remember the story of Abraham. He was Abram at the time, and God came to him and said, you're going to have a child. And so, we're not there yet. But we're getting there. Um, I don't want you reading ahead. Stop it. So God made a promise to Abraham, and he said, I'm going to give you a child. But Abraham didn't know the child wasn't going to come immediately. Abraham didn't know he was going to have to wait. Abraham didn't know it was going to be 25 years in the making. He just knew God had made a promise, and God had yet to deliver. And so in Genesis 15, God comes to renew that promise. God comes to reaffirm that promise. And God says, listen, come outside with me. And He says, look up into the heavens. You see all those stars up in the heavens? As if you can count those stars? That's how many descendants that you will have. And Abraham got a scripture here on a slide in Genesis 15, 6. Thank you, honey. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, I wrote something else. God gave Abraham credit because Abraham took God at his word. God honors his word and he honors those who take him at his word. And Abraham said, I believe you. And God says, I give you credit. And then God said, let me give you a second promise. The land that you're going through right now, I'm going to give to your descendants. And Abraham's like, "Um, how do I know you're going to do that? He believes God will give him a child, but when it comes to giving land, he's like, God, how can I trust you? How can I take you at your word? How can I believe that you're going to do that? How can I know that I'm going to take possession of that? Now, since Abraham's having a little difficulty believing in the land promise, God enters into a blood covenant with him. Now, I want you to read some scripture here. Do I have this one up here? I do. Thank you. No, last one. Thanks. 
Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I'll gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. How did Abraham know to do that? Because they were used to blood covenants. God used a story. God used an illustration that Abraham was familiar with. Abraham knew, I'm about to enter a covenant with God because of this process. He knew what was going on. And then God puts Abraham to sleep. And you can read in verses 12 through 6. Abraham fell into a deep sleep and the Lord spoke to him and said, This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. And since they had entered the blood covenant and they had taken those animals and they cut them in two and then there was the blood, if you were to read in Genesis fifteen seventeen, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On the day, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Now, notice Abraham doesn't pass down the aisle. Notice God is the only one who walks the aisle. God, in essence, is saying, Abraham, this is how you can trust me. May this happen to me if I don't honor my word. May what is going on with these animals, may I be gutted if I don't honor my word about the land promise. God was saying, Abraham, even if you fail... I'm going to honor the deal. Even if you don't come through on this agreement, because Abraham didn't walk through the aisle, God says, I'm going to honor my word. I'm going to honor the covenant. It's a blood back guarantee that God's going to do what He says He's going to do. Maybe that's why in Romans 4, Paul writes, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed I like that word. How can I have a guarantee? It's a blood back guarantee so that it can be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring. You know who Abraham's offspring are? That's me and you. God still honors people who take him at his word. God still gives credit for people who have faith in him. So as you fast forward through the Old Testament, here's what you find. Abraham's not faithful. Abraham's unfaithful, and Abraham's descendants are unfaithful. And the prophets come along and they tell the people, you're, you're committing spiritual adultery because you're not faithful to the promise you made with God. But check this out. Listen, listen, listen. But God was faithful, and He still gave them the land because God's going to honor His Word. It's a blood-backed guarantee that God's going to honor His Word. In essence, God gets gutted for the people's unfaithfulness, but God still honors the covenant. God says, may this happen to me even if either side, if either party doesn't honor the deal. And then we fast forward to the New Testament. And we have what we call the Lord's Supper, which we just took this morning. And there's bread and there's juice. And Jesus says in Matthew 26, He took bread, He gave thanks, and He broke it and gave it to His disciples and said, Take and eat, this is My body. And then He took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, now check this out, This is My blood of the covenant being poured out for the forgiveness of sins. 
The disciples might not have known what was going on here, but Jesus is about to activate a new covenant. Jesus is about to enter into a blood covenant. That's why Jesus went to the cross. Because His blood was shed to make a new covenant. Because again, remember Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So Jesus says, all right, we're going to be in covenant together. Whether you walk the aisle or not, Jesus says, I'm going to walk the aisle, and I'm going to walk through the blood, and you can trust me. Jesus is about to shed His blood on the cross, and it makes the prophecy from Jeremiah 31 about to come true. You can read it again in Hebrews 8. It was our scripture reading this morning. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. When's He going to do that? He's going to do that at the cross. Why is He going to do that at the cross? Because we've got the shedding of blood for the blood covenant. I will put my law on their minds and write it on their hearts. I'll be their God and they will be my people for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. That's the new covenant. And that's why He shed His blood. And so when you see the cross, you can know it's a blood-back guarantee that Jesus is going to do what He says He's going to do. Jesus is the one who walked the aisle. Jesus is the one who brought value. Jesus is the one who shed His life. Because Jesus wants wants us to know it's a blood-back guarantee. It isn't the blood of animals. It's the blood of Jesus. So listen, when you respond to the good news, when you respond to the gospel, when you respond to Jesus, when you confess, when you're baptized, you're not participating in the covenant. You're watching and trusting in what Jesus did at the cross. Because Jesus is the one who walked the aisle. Because we're not the ones who honor the deal. Because we're still unfaithful. The Scripture says we've all sinned. No one's righteous. But Jesus says, I'm going to honor my end of the deal, whether you're faithful or not. Jesus says He will be faithful. God still honors His promise. And God still honors His Word. Jesus wants us to know, I'm not walking away from the deal. You can trust me. I'm not going to cheat you. I'm not taking you for a ride. It's a blood-back guarantee. You can trust Jesus. Every promise of Jesus is a blood-back guarantee. Jesus is going to do what He says He's going to do, even if it kills Him to shed His blood. Listen, church, you've heard the illustration. I trust you with my life. Jesus says, you can trust me with my life as He died on the cross. Check out this verse. You know, you can read through the Bible so many times and things just, you just don't catch them. But 2 Corinthians 1.20, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. You know why they're yes in Christ? Because it's a blood covenant. It's a blood-backed guarantee that Jesus is going to do what He says He's going to do. God honors His Word And God still honors people who take Him at His Word. So we offer the invitation every week. 
for you to honor Jesus. We partake of the Lord's Supper every week because Paul said in Romans 3, we're supposed to have faith in the blood. How do you have faith in the blood? You trust in the blood covenant. You trust in what Jesus said He would do. You trust in what Jesus did at the cross. How do you do that? You give Him your life. You surrender your life. You confess your sins. You're baptized for the remission of sins because God honors those who take Him at His word. I like the illustration about a small boy who lived with his grandmother and one night the house caught fire. The grandmother tried to save the boy and go upstairs and find him and she wasn't able to do that and she perished in the flames. A crowd begins to gather on the outside of the house. The flames are all over the front of the house. Nobody knows what to do. Although they hear the screams and the cries of the boy, suddenly a stranger walks up and he goes around to the back of the house. Nobody knows what he's doing. And he finds a, a, a drainage pipe on the side of the house and he shimmies up that hot drainage pipe and he goes in a window and he comes out with a boy just wrapped around him and he shimmies down that pipe again and he rescues that boy. A couple weeks later in court, there's people fighting over who has custody of the boy. And there was a farmer and there was a teacher and there was a, a, a very rich man in town and they were all able to speak. This is why the boy needs to be with me. This is why the boy needs to be with me. And the judge listened to all those people and finally a stranger comes from the back of the courtroom. And he pulls his hands out of his pocket and you see the scars and the burns all over his hand. And up to this point, the boy is just, the little boy who was rescued has just been staring at the ground. And when the man comes forward, the boy jumps into his arms. And the judge decides that the boy should be in the custody of the man who rescued him. The boy should be in the custody of the man who saved his life. The boy should be in the custody of the man who has the scars. Because it's a blood back guarantee. But that's how much Jesus loves us. We should be in possession. We should be in the custody of Jesus. Because Jesus says, I love you so much, I'm willing to die for you. We should give Him our lives because He's willing to save us. Let me tell you what can wash your sins away. You can't. You can't work hard enough. You can't come to church enough. You can't read through your Bible enough. You can't pray enough. You can't do enough good deeds. There's nothing you can do to save you. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And at the cross, Jesus gives us a blood-back guarantee that He's going to do and honor every promise He's ever given. And if Jesus promises us salvation, it's a guarantee. Will you give your life to Jesus today? Will you have Jesus wash your sins away? Will you submit to Him and to His blood and have His blood wash your sins away? If you need to respond, please do so as we stand and sing. What can 